Good evening, comrades, and welcome to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Today is February 28th, 2023. I want to thank you all for being here. Tonight's class is a presentation by the Black Liberation Commission of the Party of Communists USA on Black Communists of the 20th Century. Uh, I know comrades might be confused. Last week, we had a class on the war in Ukraine. Uh, we said we were going to finish it this week. We are still going to finish that class, uh, but we're going to finish it at a later point. We wanted to make sure we get this class in for the Black Liberation Commission uh, within Black history. So the Ukraine class will be completed, uh, just not today. Okay. Welcome, everyone, to this class of the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. And tonight's topic is going to be on Black communists of the 20th century. So during the initial formation of the Communist Party of America <clears throat> in 1919, there were no black workers in the party. It was initially made up of um, European immigrants and European people with European ancestry at the beginning. And then the it was a split from the Socialist Party. So ultimately, as we know, the Socialist Party did not do anything on the race question in the question of uh, racial minorities in the United States. And then the fourth common turn um, by which the party it, it was guided passed at the fourth Congress to essentially a thesis to have them focus on uh, the national liberation and the self-determination movements within the United States at the time, uh, most notably of the African-Americans in their struggle for self-determination. And that would present itself in the forms of, you know, the establishment of these unemployment councils where it would help people find work who are unemployed. And ultimately um the creation of a black belt in the in the south for um, african americans to where they would have their self-determination and also for having you know giving a um, platform for african americans to run in elections in electoral politics in the united states which was long before the democrats and the republicans um started doing that so um, so the first person we're going to talk about is uh, Harry Haywood. Um, he was born in Nebraska to former slaves in the late 1800s at the beginning of the 20th century. And he actually played a role in formulating the Black Belt thesis. He saw African-Americans in the Deep South uh, as an oppressed nation and ultimately um, believed that they were they had a right to self-determination following being inspired by Lenin, who wrote the book, The Right of Nations to Self-Determination. And, you know, his answer to the two main trends of black liberation were his his answer was like to the he was the answer to the two main trends. Ultimately, you had the integrationalists like the NAACP, and then you had the the separatists like the Mark like Marcus Garvey and his Back to Africa movement. And then during the times of economic distress, as we know, with the fall it leading at the end of the 1920s, leading into the 1930s and the Great Depression era, you know, separatist movements were surging in popularity. And it was important to address kind of the the dual desires for autonomy and economic self-determination in order to win the masses to the side of the Communist Party. And then um, similarly, you know, the Communist Party started kind of jumping into social justice causes and especially amongst African-Americans, most notably at cases when the Communist Party defended the Scottsboro Boys in the 1930s. And this was a group of nine black boys ranging from the ages of 13 to 20 who were falsely accused of rape and were risking imprisonment. And the Communist Party set up something called the International Labor Defense, where they would go in and they would defend cases pro bono that they believed were social justice civil rights cases and um they did this four years before the NAACP joined this cause and their attorney was a was a Jewish man named Sammy Leibowitz um, and he took on the case pro bono and it lasted from 1930 to 1937 and then it went all the way up to the United States Supreme Court where it was eventually thrown out and overruled and the case was won by the uh, international labor defense and the next person that we're going to talk about from this period is Angela Herndon. And he was an African-American labor organizer who kind of started working and joined the Communist Party while he was in the railroad industry. And he was organizing black and white workers um, in the, on the railroads. 
And ultimately, then, you know, the police arrested him in 1932. I believe he was going to the post office and they just, you know, arrested him right there on the spot on the street. And the International Labor Defense, again, you know, took his took up his case and ultimately defended him in court. He was unfortunately uh, convicted by the state, but the International Labor Defense would later kind of bail him out and kind of work towards and support him. And he would be a member of the Communist Party up to the 30s, traveling around speaking until he would leave eventually in the 1940s. And at the same time, um, the Communist Party ran the first African-American on a ballot, Uh, a man named James W. Ford, who here you can see he was the he was he ran on the in the 1940s election as the running mate of Earl Browder, who was the uh, general secretary of the Communist Party at the time. And this was long before the Democrats or the Republicans, you know, started uh, running uh, candidates of color. And this was in the 1930s. He was on the 1932 elect the ballot in the 1932 election, the 1936 election, and the 1940 election, and he ran initially with William C. Foster, and then again with Earl Brower Browder, and he also joined in in 1928, and he would actually work up his work his way up in the party and eventually represent the party at conventions, important like communist conventions at the time, such so as the League Against Imperialism and Colonial Oppression. And a break for discussion. Thank you. A uh, quick question. Uh, it was sort of, I don't want to say skimmed over, but could somebody clarify the whole, there were no black people in the earliest communist party? Uh, maybe I'm being naive, but being, a, you know, a party about class, I, I'm I'm just trying to figure out maybe the, that community was so newly liberated that they didn't even know to join or what, what was going on where people still class but slightly racist Uh, thank you all right it seems like two people want to answer this uh yeah so i'll give an example of asian americans because a lot of times they were considered the same right uh, as african americans back then so asian americans were as a race you know back then were not considered uh developed so societally developed enough to be able to be working class people so they were not workers and you know, so, and there's also the good old racism, you know, uh, oftentimes unionized and even, you know, the workers of, you know, white working places wouldn't want to be associated with African-American and other people of color. Uh, sometimes it's just because they just didn't like them. Sometimes it's because they believe myths that, you know, African-Americans or other poor people would come in and, you know, poor people of color would come in as scabs to, you know, would you lower their value? values of you know their wages their quality of life so there was a lot of different reasons for it and it was so which is why when the cpusa had a stance on you know uh, african-americans and it proposed the black belt initiative that it was such a radical idea at the time thank you okay let's go to the beginning 1919 there were two parties formed at the same time one was led by John Reed, Jack Reed. It was composed of native-born, white native-born. The second one was organized by a guy named Louis Farina. He wasn't even Italian, but that was his party name, Louis Farina, which is an Italian name. That was based on the foreign-born. So the majority of people that came here from Eastern Europe After the 1905 revolution failed, a lot of them came over here. Russians and many of them Jewish, Yiddish speaking. They came here because the revolution failed and there was repression going on by the czar. So these people came here, they were the backbone of the language federations in the socialist party. So they came together among languages and there was no blacks in those because blacks didn't come from Russia, Ukraine, Belarusia, that area. It was the common turn outside of our party here. It was the common turn that said we had to organize among African-Americans. And therefore we had a center, which we don't have now. And therefore they came back here, the delegates from the common turn, 
And that was the key thing to organize among African-Americans, Blacks. So it's a whole different history. It wasn't that we were racist. It was that the impetus to organize came from outside the country. Two the people here were, bought, were divided into two sections, foreign-born and Native American. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. Yeah, just a little more commentary on the Scottsboro boys. It, it was quite hellacious to say the least. The 13-year-old uh, was not convicted, but the 13-year-old had to stay in jail until 1937 until all of the others uh, had been convicted and settled. So he spent six years in, in jail just on that. The other thing is the uh, Scottsboro boys were tried four different times. All four times, they were mostly, some of them got away with it, but most of them were convicted and were sentenced to execution. So this is four times during that six years. The, Supreme, the state Supreme Court kept on throwing out the convictions. Uh, for different reasons. The prosecutors during that time frame took it all the way up to the Supreme Court twice. And so then they would go back and then Supreme Court said, no way, they weren't given counsel. Um, you have a jury of 12 white people. Uh, they weren't given proper procedures, so on and so forth. So some of the rulings that the Supreme Court uh, brought down, why they... Um, uh, disregarded the convictions by the state, uh, actually helped form uh, some progressive rules uh, later seconds. on. So keep in mind, all four times they were convicted, they did, after the fourth time, at least they got all rid of the death penalty, but many of them did still go to jail on lesser charges. It, it was just a horrendous uh, fiasco. So they didn't get away scot-free. Just want to let you know. Thanks. All right. Thank you, comrade. And then I had uh, two things to say. One was a question. One was just another thing to bring up for the time. I'll go ahead with the, the comment first. Uh, one of the things that wasn't mentioned here and I don't believe is in the presentation, but I think is worth bringing up uh, that we had actually read about one of the International Workers Order class because there was a Jewish fraternalist article about it was Stuyvesant Town, uh, which was originally a housing project which banned uh, African-Americans from living in it. And there was a family, and this was in the article, that had been able to move into the house of uh, some Jewish people that had lived in Stuyvesant Town and helped to challenge that sort of uh, systemic racism that was there. And so I think that that's a good example of communists, especially Jewish communists, uh, working to help out uh, Black families back in uh, the early 1900s. The other one was a question that I wanted to ask uh, on Angelo Herndon. I know that some people are good at some points uh, in their uh, uh, lifetime as communists and aren't so good at others. I'm curious as to why Angelo Herndon left the party in the 40s, if anybody can give me an answer on that. Yeah, I feel strongly, and there may be for evidence of this, that people came to the party and they used the party. In fact, I still see it going on now. People use the Soviet Union. Many countries use the Soviet Union in order to get national independence. Many people, in order to free themselves, use the party. I mean, I experienced it with Angela Davis. I experienced that, I saw it. And then, when she didn't need the party anymore and she had a good job in the university, then she was free to criticize the party leadership, which got her out of prison, by the way. And I wouldn't be shocked if the same thing happened with Angela Herndon. There was no ideological reason initially. As far as I know, he did not fall prey to ultra-leftism or revisionism on the right the way Harry Haywood did. He did fall prey to that. The fact that we have experienced in our own short in history, in our own party, people came to our party, have used it to build themselves up. 
You all know this, what I'm talking about, those who remember this. And then they leave and they take with them what they built. So people do not come for good reasons to the party. Many, some of them, I don't know how many, but some of them come for other reasons. That's all, that's the best answer I can give you. All right, thank you, comrade. So, someone mentioned, uh, suggested that uh, why there are a few uh, blacks in the early CPUSA and that the blacks might not have been considered workers or developed socially enough, but uh, there had been African-American members of the Socialist Party and the IWW and uh, had involved a number of unions already like uh, the Knights of Labor. Just saying, thanks. Thank you. Uh, yeah, building on what Comrade Shun was just saying, at the turn of the last century, the Socialist Party was a mass organization and heterogeneous. It was not ideologically consistent. There was a right wing uh, represented by people like Victor Berger, uh, who was actually elected to Congress as a socialist from Milwaukee. There was a left wing that was uh, represented by people like Gene Debs and Big Bill Haywood. And the right wing kind of felt like they had to be responsive to what the AFL wanted if they wanted to you know, represent workers. And the AFL was demanding things like immigration restrictions, particularly against uh, Asian Americans and others, well, Asians immigrating to America and others. Um, but the left wing was always anti-racist. And that's really worth emphasizing. And when the Bolshevik revolution happened in Russia, it seemed to solve a longstanding debate in the socialist left. Do we take the government and then use the government to take over industry? Or do we take over industry and use that to take over the government, the sort of syndicalist line? And the Russian Revolution seemed to answer that question. The left of the Socialist Party, actually the Communist Party was founded out of that uh, in a big fight at a Socialist Party convention. But I just want to clarify that it wasn't as simple as like socialists were racist at the beginning of the 20th century. There certainly was. 90 seconds racism i mean racism was the scientific consensus at the time it's called scientific racism but there were also plenty of people doing integrated organized radical socialist labor organizing prior to the founding of our party that's part of why those people founded the communist the original communist party or parties just to fill that in a little bit thank you yeah i just wanted to um let everyone know some more stuff about harry haywood during the 30s, he also had something called Black and White Unite and Fight, which was a response to a, a campaign that was going on at the time by sort of the petty bourgeois sort of nationalist um, currents, don't buy where you can't work. And they succeeded, you know, it sort of aimed at your small neighborhood type petty bourgeois shops. And they would get, you know, a few jobs here and there, but it really didn't do anything to the larger you know, corporate structure. And so his goal was to bring together black and white unionists together to fight that larger battle and for more jobs. Um, so just something else, thanks. To the general secretary about the Julia Brown. I got a book from a store, bookstore. She was a member of the communist party, but she started to work for the FBI. So it's interesting. To, to listen to, to hear something about why she she started to work for uh, for the FBI in the time when uh, you know in the 60s even many black people don't have a rights so that she should support the FBI so what what's happened thank you yeah it is not strange for a member of an oppressed minority to work for the oppressor it's common in fact Remember, in Germany, in the concentration camps, there were groups of Jews who were the police and the camps. They were called the Judenrat in Yiddish, the Judenrat. These are people that worked for the Nazis and spied on the Jewish resistance within the community, within the Warsaw Ghetto, within the concentration camps. It's not strange uh, for this to happen. They think individually of themselves and how they can save themselves 
and it doesn't matter if they do it by ratting out and destroying other members of their oppressed minority. Thank you. Well, let's go on with the class. Yeah. Um, so everything changed in 1935 during the seventh Congress of the Common Turn. And this was important because um, this is where the policy changed from class against class to a united front against fascism. And this is around the time of the rise of fascism in Europe with Mussolini's Germany, or sorry, Mussolini's Italy, Nazi Germany, Imperial Japan and the Pacific. And the entire communist movement um, focused, shifted their focus towards that. And in 1936, um, during the Spanish Civil War, fascist dictator Francisco Franco and his generals rose up in Spain against the new republic and replacing the monarchy, which is um, something that other fascist movements in Europe would also do at the same time. Um, and then the international communist movement organized military brigades to go help fight the republic in a call that uh, called No Pasaran, or They Shall Not Pass. And then in the United States, the communists organized the Abraham Lincoln and the George Washington battalions. And right here is a picture of the Lincoln battalion. Uh, where uh, communist party members would go over and fight and help uh, the anti-fascist resistance movement in Catalonia against the, um, the fascists um, from Franco's side. And one of the most, one of the notable members was James W. Ford, who was the same person who would run as in the communist party um, and on the, on the presidential ticket. So then the black belt thesis uh, went away around the time because African-Americans would move to the, from the South to the North looking for employment. And then the mass mobilization for the war effort ramped up around this time, which guided party policy in the fight against fascism by supporting it. And the party was focused on just fighting fascism. And in the same time, we saw the Communist Party join the war efforts against the Axis powers and would also throughout the end of World War II and after that, kind of with the end of the war, we saw kind of we get into the McCarthy period, the post-war McCarthy period, where the Communist Party, um, the leadership of the Communist Party were sent to prison under the Smith Act, and the party had to go underground. And here there's a video of uh, Paul Robeson, actually, at this time, testifying at the by the House of the Un-American Activities Committee. Now... Do Mr. Robson, uh, do I have the privilege of asking who's addressing me? I'm Richard Ahrens. What is your position? I'm director of the staff. Did you file a passport application in July 2, 1954? I filed about 25 in the last few months. In July of 1954, were you requested to submit a non-communist affidavit? Under no conditions would I think of signing such an affidavit. It is a contradiction of the rights of American citizens. Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Oh, please, please, please. Please answer, will you, Mr. Robeson? What is the Communist Party? What do you mean by that? Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Would you like Party? to come to the ballot box when I vote and take off the ballot and see? Mr. Chairman, I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question. You are directed to answer the question. I invoke the Fifth Amendment and forget it. I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question whether, if he gave us a truthful answer, he would be supplying information which might be used against him in a criminal proceeding. You are directed to answer, Mr. Robson. In the first place, wherever I have been in the world, the first to die in the struggle against fascism were the communists. I laid many wreaths upon the graves of communists. That is not criminal. Chief Justice Warren has been very clear that the Fifth Amendment does not have anything to do with the influence of criminality, and I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Have you ever been known under the name of John Thomas? Oh, please, does somebody here want me to put up a perjury someplace. John Thomas, my name is Paul Robeson, 
And anything I have to say, I have said in public all over the world, and that is why I'm here today. Mr. Chairman, I ask that you direct the witness to answer the question he's making us. I ask you to affirm or deny the fact that your Communist Party name was I John Thomas. the Fifth Amendment. This is really ridiculous. The witness talks very loud when he makes a speech, but when he invokes the Fifth Amendment, I can't hear him. I have medals for diction. Right. I can talk plenty loud. Will you talk a little louder? I invoke the Fifth Amendment loudly. Sir, who are Mr. and Mrs. Vladimir I Nikiev? invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know a Manning Johnson? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know Gregory Kaifitz? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know a Max Jurgen? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Max Jurgen. Why don't you have oath? these people here to be cross-examined? Could I ask whether this is legal? This is not only legal, but usual. By unanimous vote, this committee has been instructed to perform this very distasteful task. To whom am I talking? You're speaking to the chairman of the committee. Mr. Walter? Yes. The Pennsylvania Walter? That is right. Representative of the steel workers? That is right. And the coal mining workers? That is right. Not United States steel, by any chance. Our great patriot. That is right. You are the author of the bills that are going to keep all kinds of decent people out of the country. No, only your kind. Colored people like myself? and you would let in the Teutonic Anglo-Saxon stock. We are trying to make it easier to get rid of your kind, too. You don't want any colored people to come in. Could I be allowed to read from my statement? Will here? you just tell this committee, please, while under oath, Mr. Robeson, the communist who participated in the preparation of that statement? Oh, please. The reason I'm here today, from the mouth of the State Department itself, is... I should not be allowed to travel because I have struggled for the independence of the colonial peoples of Africa. The other reason I'm here today, again, from the State Department and from the record of the Court of Appeals, is that when I am abroad, I speak out against injustices against the Negro people in this land. That is why I'm here. I'm not being tried for whether I'm a communist. I'm being tried for fighting for the rights of my people. We are still second-class citizens in this country, in this United States of America. My mother was born in your state, and my mother was a Quaker. My ancestors, in the time of Washington, baked bread for George Washington's troops when they crossed the Delaware. My father was a slave. I stand here struggling for the rights of my people to be full citizens in this country. And we are not. We are not in Mississippi. We are not in Montgomery, Alabama. They're not in Washington. They are nowhere. And that is why I'm here today. You want to shut up every Negro who has the courage to stand up and fight for the rights of his people, for the rights of workers. And I have been on many a picket line for the steel workers, too. And that is why I'm here today. Would you tell us whether or not you know Thomas W. Young? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Thomas W. Young is a Negro president of the Guide Publishing Company. I'd like to read you his testimony, quote, Paul Robeson has no moral right to place in jeopardy the welfare of the American Negro to advance a foreign cause. In the eyes of the Negro people, this false prophet is unfaithful to their country, and they repudiate him, close quote. Do you know the man that said that? I invoke the Fifth Amendment now. Can I read my statement? It is a sad and bitter comment. While you were in Paris in 1949, Mr. Robeson, did you tell an audience the American Negro would never go to war against the Soviet government? May I say that is slightly out of context. May I explain to you what I did say? I remember the speech very well. 2,000 students who came from populations that would range to six or 700 million people asked me to say in their name that they did not want war. No part of my speech in Paris says 15 million American Negroes would do anything. I said it was my feeling that the American people would struggle for peace. And that has been since underscored by the President of these United States. Now, in passing, I said... Do you know any people who want war? Listen to me. I said it was unthinkable to me that any people could take up arms in the name of a man like Senator Eastland of Mississippi against anybody. Gentlemen, I still say that. This United States government should go to Mississippi and protect my people. That is what it should do. I lay before you, sir, an article. Quote, I am looking for full freedom, unquote, by Paul Robeson in The Worker. July 3rd, 1949. Quote, I said 
It was unthinkable that the Negro people of America or elsewhere could be drawn into war with the Soviet Union. I repeat it with a hundredfold emphasis, they will not, close quote. And, gentlemen, they have not. It is clear that no Americans are going to go to war with the Soviet Union. While you were in Stockholm, did you make a little speech? I made all kinds of speeches. Let me read you a quotation. Let me listen. Do so, please. I am a lawyer. It would be a revelation if you would listen to counsel. In good company, I usually listen. But you know, people wander around in such fancy places. You said, Mr. Robeson, and I quote, I belong to the American resistance movement, which fights against American imperialism, just as the resistance movement fought against Hitler. Just like Rose Douglas and Harriet Tubman were underground railroaders and fighting for our freedom, you bet your life. I have to insist that you listen to these questions. I am listening. I quote further, why should the Negroes ever fight against the only nation in the world where racial discrimination is prohibited and where the people can live freely? Never. They will never fight against either the Soviet Union or the people's democracies, close quote. Did you make that statement? I do not remember, but what is perfectly clear today is that 900 million people, other colored people, have told you they will not. 400 million in India and millions everywhere have told you well, that. This is answer the question. He doesn't need to make a speech. Did you write an article that was published in the USSR Information Bulletin? Yes. Quote, I want to emphasize that only here in the Soviet Union did I feel that I was a real man with a capital M, close I, quote. I would say, what is your name? Errant. I am quite willing to answer the question. When I was a singer years ago, and this this you will have to listen to. I am listening. I am a bass singer, so for me it was Chalyapin, the great Russian bass, not Caruso the tenor. I learned the Russian language to sing their songs. I wish you would listen now. Mr. Chairman, I ask you to direct the witness to answer the question. Just be fair with I me. ask for order. The great poet of Russia is of African blood. Well, let's not go so it far afield. It is important to explain this. Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in 1934... Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in Did 1934... You make that in Russia, I felt for the first time like a full human being. No color prejudice like in Mississippi. No color prejudice like in Washington. It was the first time I felt like a human being. Well, I do not feel the pressure of color as I feel it in this committee today. Why do you not stay in Russia? Because my father was a slave, and my people died to build this country. And I'm going to stay here and have a part of it just like you, and no fascist-minded people will drive me from it. Is that clear? You are here because you are promoting the communist cause. I am here because I am opposing the neo-fascist cause, which I see arising in these committees. Jefferson could be sitting here, and Frederick Douglass could be sitting here. Eugene Debs could be sitting here. Now, what prejudice are you talking about? You were graduated from Rutgers, and you were graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. I remember seeing you play football at Lehigh. There was no prejudice against you. Just a moment. This is something I challenge very deeply, that the success of a few Negroes can make up for $700 a year for thousands of Negro families in the South. My father was a slave. And I have cousins who are sharecroppers. I do not see success in terms of myself. I have sacrificed hundreds of thousands of dollars for what I believe in. While you were in Moscow, Mr. Robeson, did you make a speech lauding Stalin? I can't remember. Have you recently changed what your mind about Stalin? What Stalin, gentlemen, is a question for the Soviet Union. And I won't argue with a representative of the people who, in building America, wasted the lives of my people. You are responsible, you and your forebears, for 60 to 100 million black people dying in the slave ships and on the plantations. Don't you ask me about anybody. Please. I'm sure you wouldn't want to discuss with us the slave labor camps in the Nothing Soviet Union. Nothing could be built more on slavery than this society, I assure you. I would invite your attention to the Daily Worker of June 29, 1949, with reference to a get-together with you and Ben Davis, formerly communist councilman in New York. Do you know Ben One Davis? One of my dearest friends. He is as patriotic and American as can be. And you, gentlemen, are the non-patriots. Just a minute. You are the un-Americans. The hearing is now adjourned. I think it should be. I've endured all of this that I can. Can I read my statement? No! The meeting is adjourned. It should be. Um, yeah, moving in to some of the important people during this period. Claudia Jones. Um, Claudia Jones joined the Young Communist League at the age of 18. 
She wrote the half on, on behalf of the Scottsboro Boys' legal defense for the YCL Journal Weekly Review, and was later wrote a column in the Communist Party newspaper, The Daily World. She was arrested in 1948 and 1955, and since she never gained U.S. citizenship, she was deported from the United States to England, where she would be involved in the struggles of the West Indian community and other nationally oppressed groups. Um, also, there was Esther Cooper Jackson, who was a member of the staff of the Voting Project in Birmingham, Alabama, for the SNYC. And for seven several years, she was a prominent leader of that group. Um, she worked with her husband, Louis, and many others, conducting many campaigns for promoting the rights of Blacks and poor whites. And she became a managing editor of Freedom Way in 1961. Also, Rosa Parks. She became an NAACP activist in 1943, participating in several high-profile civil rights campaigns. Um, we all know her from the Montgomery bus boycott in, in 1955, where she wouldn't give up her seat um, to a white passenger. And also, uh, some of you might, might know this, some of you might not, not, but she attended Communist Party meetings with her husband as well. Another important historical figure from this time was W.E.B. Du Bois. He was the first African-American in history to receive a Ph.D. from Harvard University. He was the founder of the NAACP, and he actually joined the Communist Party in 1961 at the age of 93, where he, it was actually, and believe it or not, Gus Hall um, processed and accepted his application. And around this time, he would... Uh, of the time of shortly after joining the Communist Party, he would actually move to Ghana and live and become an honorary citizen of Ghana under the um, socialist leader Kwame Nkrumah. And that was where he would live out the rest of his life until his death in 1963. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. actually attended one of his speeches in 1958, and he had an impact, King's activism. He was also awarded the Lenin Peace Prize in 1959 from the Soviet Union. And now we'll pause for another discussion. You don't really hear much about, like in general public, you don't really hear much about how black people have been helped by the Communist Party. Um, yeah, because everything we learn is just, at, everyone's racist, <laughs> no one helps us. So it's good to know that, it's good to learn a bit about my history, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, comrade. And we're glad that you're here as well. And yeah, we're here to help to uncover a lot of that history that the bourgeois in the United States covers up. So we're, we're glad that you found us and that you're interested in this class. Thank you, comrades. Uh, first off, the uh, audio video for when um, that comrade of ours, um, what was his name again? I don't remember. But anyway, Paul really Rose. interesting how yeah he was um, really interesting and in how uh, every time they kept pressing him to answer a question, um, he just kept hitting doing um, something. It's called the Germans have a name for it. It's called Stitch Fleisch, and that means translates literally is, and a lot of communist leaders even today still do it. They they keep hitting on the same answer over and over and over again, and it's to also be prepared to say this for as much as you have to, because they, after a while, they'll just, um, what he, the individuals he was facing, um, they hate it. But also he understood the rights that he had. He did have some, at least that was pertaining to why he was being there and that he didn't have to do that. So it was just kind of, it was really um, in a way just hilarious just to hear the reactions, rightfully so, out of the ones that were trying to persecute him. But they don't, one thing that they don't like is a well educated, competent, stubborn communist. That, and he was a great one of that. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. Yeah, the Paul Robeson audio is so uh, inspirational. And what a great comrade he was. But my comment, actually, and I joined the class, my comment was what we were reading before that even, was the struggle against fascism and that communists were the first ones to rise against this. And it was mentioned that black comrades went to Spain and Paul Robeson talk, talked about that. And 
shameless plug for New Outlook Publishers, but we have just posted uh, Texas Bentley's book, The Donbass Cowboy, because Texas Bentley's been fighting in 2014, and he gave us full permission to reproduce this book. Um, so it's like an official book. And I am actually bringing that up for today's class because he was not the only one who went to the Donbass in 2014. There was this African-Colombian uh, comrade named Al Alonzo, and he was black, but he was Spanish from Colombia. And he, lived, he, he later moved to Spain, and then he was there with um, Texas. And uh, Alonzo actually married a woman there, just like Texas did, a Ukrainian woman. And Alonzo had two children. Uh, tragically, Alonzo, or perhaps it's Alfonso, forgive me. I had him on Facebook, but he, he passed away um, last year. He was, he was killed by ar artillery, but black comrades who we are with are still fighting fascism. And that reminds me as well that one of the uh, black comrades in our history that isn't in this presentation uh, but that is very important to remember and that fought fascism is Robert G. Thompson, who was actually a black Oregonian. And I bring up the state because Oregon had once banned black people from being in the state entirely. Uh, he was a black Oregonian communist that uh, joined the party, uh, actually went to Spain and fought in the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. And then with the onset of World War II and the attack on Pearl Harbor, he signed up with the U.S. military and went and fought in the Pacific theater and different battles like the Buna campaign, um, a couple of other different high profile battles uh, against the Japanese imperialists and had even swam across the river with a uh, rope at one point in time to help pull like a bridge or something or some sort of communications across the river and swam uh, amidst like incoming machine gun fire. Um, and when he came back to the United States, uh, he was brought before the House of Un-American Activities Committee, and I believe was arrested. Uh, so it just goes to show how our black comrades can go ahead and go fight uh, fascism in Spain and in the Pacific, and then come back and be uh, repressed at home uh, by the American imperialists. So I just wanted to bring that up because that's a, a comrade that often gets forgotten about, but he did really good work. Yeah, hi to all the new members. We're super glad to have you. Um, and I just wanted to, as that audio is really, really great, but I believe that it's actually a reenactment by James Earl Jones of Paul Robinson's excellent testimony. Unfortunately, we do not have the original audio, I don't believe. I just wanted to make sure that everyone was clear on that. Thank you. Yes, it was James Earl Jones. Thank you for including that comment. Uh, yeah, so two things. Uh, the first, I just wanted to mention that um, when Claudia Jones was deported, she actually joined the Communist Party of Britain, the Comintern affiliate. Um, since she was in the CPUSA when she was deported. And secondly, um, I, I've always liked the audio. Like um, we, we played this last year, I believe, uh, around the same time. And um, you can hear like how condescending and racist that they, uh, the, the people are and like the way that they treat him. They, they uh, Paul Roberson, they don't, I, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot, uh, like growing up in a conservative family and stuff, you know, they don't, uh, racists don't like an educated black person or um, like an educated communist. They, they're really condescending. They, um, you know, they, they still look down upon them, even though, you know, Paul Robeson's probably more educated than every single one of the senators up there. Um, but um, I, it's just a great, and how, uh, he, you know, he didn't talk bad about Comrade Stalin or anything as well. It's just a great, and it's a great class. I always uh, like this class because it's a, a topic. When I, when I first joined the party, I was uh, like working in uh, like the, you know, the uh, the Black Lives Matter, like uh, police and stuff. So I started studying black communists uh, and stuff when I first came to the PCUSA. So um, I'm just glad that we have this class every year. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. Two things I wanted to say. One, a bit of trivia that leads into my comment. Um, the trivia, uh, an almost member of the Communist Party that few of us know about is Malcolm X, um, a woman named Vicki Garvin, who was Maya Angelou's roommate. Vicki Garvin was a member of the Communist Party and recruited Malcolm, who attended meetings in New York 
was invited to join, join formally and declined. Um, we don't know why he declined. And that leads into my second comment that I would like, if he wants to, Angelo, to um, respond to. He speculated why people were joint, Black people were joining the party and why they left at a certain time. Um, I think that's fair to speculate, but it's equally fair to speculate based on what they actually said. I mean, we have records from Angela Davis going back to Queen Mother Moore, Harry Haywood, um, countless women. I recommend a book actually called Sojourning for Freedom by Eric McDuffie about Black women in the Communist Party. And to, be, to cut it short, the Black people were leaving from the 40s on up because the party ultimately did not want to stand up for Black issues in the way they perceived it. Now, other Black members did remain in the party and, and were fine with what the activism um, was doing. But the reason, why, the reason why many Black members left the party was they felt the party was betraying the Black cause. And they were very clear about that. And we should be um, clear in articulating the reasons they left. Thank you. All right. Uh, Comrade Angelo, did you want to respond to that? At all before uh, yeah, um, if one reads the history of all the communist leaders in the party, you would get a different view of what you just heard. So I suggest you do the research on your own, everybody at this class, and make up your own mind of why people left. I want to mention that Forster in 1930s wrote that we the party had a problem, and he was talking about the CP at the time, that the party has a problem of holding people in, white or black. You have to read what Forster wrote about that. Henry Winston, who's black, wrote the same thing when I was in the CP in the 1970s, that we had a problem holding people back. And it, the reason had nothing to do with, you have to look, read this stuff yourself, make your own mind up. It had more to do with people coming into a movement who are not used to joining a Leninist party. They're not used to it. It's something alien to them, whether they're black, Chinese, white, whatever. And therefore you would understand that it's like a department store. This is my experience also comrades. People will come in, look around, stay for a while and then go out the door, the same door they came in on, they went out and they'll go to the next department store and go in there and look around. People are searching for answers. They're not comfortable with what they find. And I think you should understand that. It has nothing to do with race, in my experience. Um, it has more to do with the character of the individual, what they're looking for in the party. Uh, that's all I wanted to say about that. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. And another thing that I want to say as well is that uh, there does become a point where if you do see a say a mass exodus of, of black members that are leaving the communist party it, it certainly does beg a question of if the party is standing up enough on black issues and that's something that the party uh, has to reconcile uh, but it does that through democratic centralism and so uh I, I i truly believe that the way to get a party to have the correct line on black issues is for the black members to make sure that they are actually bringing this forward at the relevant meetings uh, and getting it discussed. And you know, if what they wanted is not the thing that gets uh, decided upon, they should follow democratic centralism. Um, if they decide to leave because they didn't get their way, that just kind of shows a level of individualism uh, and breaking democratic centralism. So I just wanted to remind us, us of that. We are Marxist-Leninists, we are Bolsheviks. So we work within that framework and we have to realize that, you know, this is different from any other kind of party because this is a party of a new type. So we operate a little bit different. Uh, I'll go ahead and go to the members that haven't spoken yet. I'd recommend for to read the book, Why I'm a Communist, but I believe it's Benjamin Davis. He gives an excellent dialogue on why it's almost preposterous for a black person to not be a member of the Communist Party. I believe it was by Benjamin Davis. I got in my new intro, uh, new members package. But my question is, how did the CPUSA and communists in the U.S. change in their opinions or anything 
after the 1936 Constitution basically criminalized racism in the USSR. Thank you. My question is more about the Spanish Civil War, if it's relevant. Um, I don't know too much about that part of history, but I'm just wondering if anyone can expand on like, because at least from what I remember, like there was a ton of different parties and factions and, and countries involved in that conflict. And I wonder if anyone has anything else that they can say about the, the involvement of, of either the West or, or the Soviets or things like that. Thanks. All right. Thank you, comrade. And we're glad that you're here. Uh, comrade Angelo, would you like to go ahead and give a, a response to that real quick? Kent, that's a whole class. That's a whole class that we need to have on the Spanish Civil War to explain what was going on at the time. Let me just put it in one sentence. There was an election. The Socialist Party and the Communist Party ran together. They won the election. And the monarchy in Spain was dissolved. And they set up a republic. That republic was attacked from the left and from the right. From the right, it was the fascist, General Franco. From the left, it was attacked by the Trotskyites. That's interesting. You should all know that. Uh, we have a pamphlet, and we should try to get that republished. Um, about the Trotskyites in the Spanish Civil War. One of them wrote a book called 1984. Another one, I think the other one wrote Animal Farm. It's the one that wrote Animal Farm, George Orwell. You gotta read what he writes. These people were Trotskyites. They attacked the Republic for not being left enough. At the same time they attacked the Republic, the fascist attacked the same month. That tells you a lot. And I'll leave it at that. We need a whole class on this. And before I forget, the comrade from New Jersey, um, we're talking about fascism. I have a pamphlet, if you would like it, on Tito, when he was the head of the partisan movement. He was very pro-us at the time. And uh, his disagreement came years later um, with Stalin. And it, it wasn't even ideological. It was more of a national uh, issue. But um, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Um, someone asked about how people thought of the, like, the Constitution um, outlawing racism or whatever for the USSR. And um, if I recall, um, there was someone, I forget who it was, there's, they basically said, like, they thought it seemed kind of like idealist that they would do that, but like, it's also like a good step forward and then also um paul robeson he said that when he had visited the soviet union that was like the one place where he didn't feel like any racism all right thank you comrade oh hello um i would like to ask what was the name of the book again the one from benjamin davis yes thank you yes the name of the the book that was mentioned was uh why i'm a communist by benjamin davis um, but you can find that as part of a more a compilation of works on New Outlook Publishers, Black and Red, the role of communists in the Black Liberation Movement on New Outlook Publishers. It is Thank one you. of many works, which also includes something that was also mentioned in the class. W.E.D. Du Bois' uh, application to the Communist Party is also included in that work. All right. Thank you, comrade. My, my question uh, that I was going to ask was um, how the, the NAACP uh, changed uh, during the early Cold War. Um, I remember reading somewhere uh, about, um, about red baiting, like anti-communist activity in Dublin and the NAACP. Could I answer that, comrade? Yeah, you have the floor, comrade. Yeah, okay, the NAACP changed. That's why W. Du Bois left it. There was a reason why he left it. What he thought they were gonna turn out to be, they didn't. They supported the economic system that brought slavery here in the uh, colonial period. That was all based on mercantilism, which is a form of capitalism. And he realized that he did his studies on black folks. There's one of his books is called um, Reconstruction Period also he wrote on. And he came up 
that the only way that we're going to solve racism is not through this economic system. It just never ha will happen. And the NAACP was looking for crumbs at the table of the white master. That's the way he put it. And therefore, they we should take the, the slave built this country. They should take more of it, not just crumbs. And we built what we call the Civil Rights Congress. It was our version of the NAACP, the CRC. It was led by a black leader who was a lawyer named William Patterson. And you need to get that book. He wrote a book called We Charge Genocide. And he wrote it, this book, along with Dr. Du Bois and Paul Robeson. And they delivered it to the United Nations in the early 50s. It was called We Charge Genocide Against the American Government. 90 seconds. And that, that's all I wanted to, to leave you with. That's it. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. So um, following after that, coming back into the 1960s, uh, this is the emergence of something called the New Left, kind of while the Communist Party is underground. And with the start of the war in Vietnam, along with the ongoing right movement, the Communist Party returns from its underground period during the McCarthy period. And uh, one of the most important uh, Black figures in the party at this time was a man named Henry Winston, who joined the League of Young Communists or the Young Communist League at the age of 19. He was part of that generation who went to go fight in World War II, <clears throat> and he was arrested, actually, under the Smith Act. Um actually became blind while spending time in prison um, under the Smith Act. He became the national chair of the Communist Party <clears throat> from 1966 to 1986. And he wrote <clears throat> a book called The Strategy for a Black Agenda, which is the educational that we use in the Black Liberation Commission. He ended up dying in the Soviet Union as well. And here's just an excerpt from the book. The giant industrial monopolies, the big banks and the insurance companies, the financiers and the landowners all spawn racism and use it as one of their chief class weapons to maintain and defend their regi regime of exploitation and oppression, of enmity amongst peoples, of imperialist wars of aggression. It follows that all democratic and anti-monopoly forces with the working class and black liberation movement in the van can effectively defend the interests of the vast majority of the working people only when actively furthers the struggle against racism. This was this is an essential essential precondition for anti-capitalist uh, the development of a fighting alliance which will unite all democratic and anti-monopoly anti-capitalist forces in the country. Marx wrote long ago that labor, quote, labor is a white skin that could ever be free as long as labor in the black skin is branded, end quote. This profound observation points to the fact that racism is the consciously employed weapon of the white imperialist oppressors who use it to create division in the ranks of the working class. And Marx correctly suggests the white workers must take the lead in the struggle against racism. This is the path which can lead to the unity of black and white workers in struggle, which can achieve black equality and a real improvement in the conditions of all workers. And um, as we saw in the clip, um, Paul Robeson was also an important historical figure. Um, he was a former football player and lawyer who graduated from Columbia Law School long before he got into politics. He became a communist activist in the 1930s, where he, and as Comrade General Secretary Angelo stated, he co-authored We Charge Genocide along with William L. Patterson and W.E.B. Du Bois, um, which was later presented at the United Nations. He visited the Soviet Union in the 1930s, where he claimed, quote, this is the first time I felt fully human. And if you remember, as part of the present, as part of the video that we watched, he was mentioning that he suggested that they were taking away his right to travel. What he was referring to is that his passport was taken as a result from him as a result of his political activities. And that was what he was referring to, that they're retaliating against him for speaking out in against capitalism. And his right to travel was eventually restored back in 1958. This is the house I live in, which I want comrades to listen to the lyrics of this and really feel this as American communists. 
Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information or to join our free classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube, listen to our streams on Spotify, and chat with us on Reddit.